BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, the largest online career resource built inclusively for women. I also have the privilege of hosting our new podcast, The Females. We're here to help with real talk career advice from CEOs, authors, creatives, and other experts to give you real strategies for building a successful career all on your own terms. Each episode of The Females is sure to not only inspire, but also to motivate you to take action and move your career forward. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes and follow along on careercontessa.com. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey. So buckle up. So welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I'm joined by the most amazing... Tracy Cox. I'm so excited about this, Tracy, because I've watched you on TV for years. And now we're speaking. You have to forgive me a little bit. I'm day God knows what of COVID and I've got a bit of brain fog and I'm very tired. So if I if I get lost, pick me up. <laughs> I will. I will. Well, you're looking pretty good on COVID. I'm telling you, it's a good advertisement. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I think it's the lack of alcohol probably helped my skin. So Tracy, you've got a book coming out about sex after 50. And actually I'm finding this whole topic fascinating. Not that I'm 50, but my girlfriends found sex after 40 really changed for us. In a good way or a bad way? No, a great way. And maybe it's after marriage. I don't know. Probably that too. So I think that when you're younger, we don't know ourselves. You know, we're embarrassed and there's so much that goes alongside with sex. And I mean, I know from my my point of view with my parents, we were all brought up that as long as we could not have it would be better. And, you know, that it was it was somehow dirty. And so I love what you do, especially in England, because we are sort of brought up in that public school, you know, way of sex is, you know, a four-letter word, really. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, the book is actually called Great Sex Starts at 50. So it's 10 years on from, from 40. Sex is quite interesting decade by decade because the actual advantages of being 40 plus as compared to the sex you're having in your 30s is a whole different issue. And then 50 on, you get a whole different issue. And this is actually my 17th book about sex. And I was absolutely delighted to write about a niche topic because all publishers tend to want is a general sex book, which is, of course, going to appeal to everybody. And I'd written 16 of them, and I was seriously thinking, come on now, there's nothing more to say. 16 books on sex. I know, I know. Talk about reinventing the wheel. And then I hit 50, and suddenly I thought, oh, my God, there really is something to say, you know, something new to say. Because when you hit 50, you've got all this to look forward to, Caroline, something dramatic happens to your libido. It's all to do with hormones, of course. But I had a high libido. I've written all these books. I thought nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to be immune from all this. But I'm not, I wasn't immune. Are you married? I am married now. I've been married twice and I'm eight years into my second marriage. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, I must have been, yeah, it must have been a bit before 50 because it was almost just before I met him. And then, of course, when you meet somebody new, you get that artificial high um, and it, that sort of carries you along for a bit. And then it sort of went down again. But it's not bad news because you can, I mean, this is why I wrote the book was to, 
rescue my own mojo along with everybody else's. And there is so much you can do. And I'm happy to report now that, in fact, my libido is as high as it was, but it's a very different type of sex. You have to turn yourself on. You have to arouse yourself. That sort of knocking, you know, that sort of tap on the shoulder saying, you know, go off and masturbate or go off and find somebody to have sex with goes. That's what goes. And that's the hardest bit because you think, oh my God, this means I don't fancy sex anymore. But it doesn't. It just means that your response system is working differently. Do you think that when people are in a sort of sexless marriage, it can be revived? Or do you think that, you know, you just get into that business partnership thing after a long-term marriage, which happens so much to so many people? And, and, and women seem to think that then it's it's just completely over for them. I think there's a whole big chapter on sexless marriages, and that was something which I found absolutely fascinating because I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of women for the book and men. And interestingly, the couple of friends that I know who get on really well, talk about everything, had quietly stopped having sex but never, ever had a conversation about it. They just took sex off the table, and that was that. Now, Sex stops for many reasons. Sometimes it's because you've had a lifetime of bad sex and you just can't be bothered doing it anymore. Sometimes the relationship isn't right. Sometimes sex becomes painful. Sometimes you get a couple who've been together forever. They had loads of sex. Sex suddenly now is, you know, is, is sort of a bit problematic. Maybe his erections aren't as strong. Maybe sex is painful for her. And they kind of agree and go, you know what? We've done that bit of our life and we're happy to move forward without sex. I have to say they are the 0.001% because usually in a sexless relationship, one person wants to keep having it and the other one doesn't. And then, of course, you have problems. Now, in terms of it being revived, pretty much all data says that if you haven't had sex for five years, it's most unlikely that you're suddenly going to turn to each other and go, hey, honey, we've completely forgotten to have sex. How about we do it now? You need to address the issue. If you haven't had sex for six months, you need to address the issue. But of course, it depends on your circumstances. If you haven't had six months and you've just had two kids, you know, twins and you're, you know, with a newborn babies, well, then fair enough. But if you're in your 30s in a new relationship and you haven't had sex, it's a big deal. Don't you think if you haven't had sex for five years, he's probably having it with someone else? Not necessarily. I mean... Men stop sex for all sorts of reasons. And one reason why a lot of men over the age of 45 stop having sex is that they're, they're having erection difficulties and they're too embarrassed to talk to their partner about it. And as, as I said, this happens in the closest relationship. So the amount of times I get somebody saying to me, oh my God, my husband's having an affair, my partner's having an affair because they're not having sex with me. The first question I ask is check their erection in the morning. See if they're having an erection in the morning because a lot of the time it's not that they're getting it somewhere else. It's actually that they're not getting an erection. I mean, I was married 18 years. So, you know, and I could have told you at the end every move that was coming because it's just easy, isn't it? It's quite hard to sort of when you've been married that length of time to go, okay, let's now do Cirque du Soleil. And then of course, you know, I met Sergio and life did a whole 360. And like, I mean, he's 20, when I met him, he was like very early twenties. He's now 26. So he's even early, he's, you know, young. So yeah, he never stops. I actually asked him if he was on Viagra because it just doesn't go down. It was so different because you do think that, you know, there's something wrong with you, but it's amazing when it's like that chemical thing at the beginning. You could be having sex with a goat at the beginning and have a good time. I mean, our bodies, when we when we get with somebody new, of course, I mean, human nature would love us to be with new partners all the time because our brains and our bodies flood with all these love and sex hormones that feel absolutely amazing. And honestly, you, you know, you could be having sex with anyone. It just feels so wonderful. And it's often, this is when problems start, you see, because in the beginning, everything's artificial. Like your, your libido, your natural resting libido is artificially inflated. You don't tend to notice sex skills so much because you're just so getting off on the fact that it's somebody new and it's, you know, new flesh and all that sort of stuff. So it's usually about a year in, 18 months in, that you start to see the sex problems because all the hormones dry up and suddenly you're there thinking, well, actually, you know what, I don't think you're that good at oral sex after all. And, you know, because it takes a little bit more effort to keep that going. 
So that's the crucial time. That's when you need to start talking about, well, actually, you know what, maybe it would be better if you did this, or maybe I'd like this, and, and to keep doing new things to keep that high going. But I think you're you're further than 18 months in, aren't you? Yes. So you're past that. You know, I think with the age difference, and we're 18 years different. So, you know, I think, and actually, I get asked a lot, how do you have the confidence with him? And how do you sort of, you know, manage the age difference and all this? I mean, look, he almost killed me at the beginning. He was nonstop, but it's now evened out. Happy to tell you, we don't. I don't have to do it twelve times in the day, and I can actually eat my meals. But he—he's the most adventurous lover I've had. You know, like he loves it, and um, it's so such an important part of his life and my life with him. And and I love how into it he is. He's you know he he comes up with all this stuff and he you know he thinks about it like in in a different way. Like it just he, it's a big part of his day. You said something there about you know I love that he loves it so much. And I think that was one thing that I found. Um, once you get past forty, especially if you're in a long term relationship, there's that feeling that you don't feel as desired, and it works both ways. I mean, in the beginning, you're like, oh my god, you look amazing. Look how hot you are. You know, we're full of compliments. We talk. You know, we talk a lot about sex and how great it is. But when you've been with somebody for ten years, twelve years, you know, twenty years. You don't see your partner looking at you with those hungry eyes. The satisfaction of sex had more to do with feeling desired. For women particularly, feeling desired was much more important, for instance, than orgasm. You know, if you're with somebody that just thinks you're so sexy and so attractive, that was what kept the sex going, far more than the amount of orgasms they were having, how good they were as a lover, things like that. It is that feeling desired. And I think, you know, young men and older women have always been a great match in terms of of that, in that, you know, there's a whole myth out there that women don't like sex very much, that we have low libidos. It is absolute rubbish. We don't have low libidos. We just have a very low tolerance of very boring sex. Give us exciting sex, interesting sex with somebody who's sexy, and our sex drive is just the same as a man's. Let's take a break from the show, and I want to tell you about a new product called Strike Club Everywhere Wash. It was founded by four women with 11 children between them. God bless them. I have two sons, and that's a full-on job for me. So I was actually looking for a product like this that they could use to wash on their faces and sort of all over their body that wasn't female-based. My daughter has got products everywhere, and if you know anything about boys, they simply want to wash and go. So when I was in the States last time, I managed to pick up Strike Club Everywhere Wash. And I, what I really love about it is effective. And I wanted to get it before they sort of broke out in that acne stage because they're only 10 now and get them used to using these kind of products. They're formulated and tested and approved by the co-founder and dermatologist, Sheila McGuinness. And she's infused the product line with a unique ingredient that kills bacteria that cause acne without dryness or irritation which is great for young boys. It's safe and it's verified by the Environmental Working Group and they're all cruelty-free, which is completely non-negotiable when it comes to our children. Strike Club is easy to use and doesn't take an elaborate grooming routine. They literally pour it in the hands and rub it all over their body in the shower very quickly. And so it also means that it's less embarrassing for them in a locker room scenario where they don't have bright packaging, branding, design. It makes skincare less embarrassing for young boys. So Strike Club is available at Target stores and Target online and at strikeclub.com. If you go to strikeclub.com right now and enter Caroline at your checkout, you will receive 15% off your purchase. That's Strike with a Y, S-T-R-R. Y-K-E-C-L-U-B dot com. Code Caroline for 15% off. Now let's get back to the show. That's the the thing. He's woken, definitely woke some things up in me. As I said, it's a big part of our lives that I wouldn't want to live without now. The thing is, I think when you've been with someone from the age of, I don't know, early 20s as a woman, and you're focusing on bringing up your family and everything else, you have different priorities and you talk about different things. And, you know, maybe 
we weren't taught to have that side of a relationship so much as build your family, build your perfect little image. Whereas I think when you hit 40, you know exactly who you are. And this is happening with a lot of my girlfriends. So it's not even just me. I just don't want to throw them all under the bus. But I mean, literally, I get photographs of like, they're off to sex shops and finding things to hang themselves from doors in and like swings. And I mean, it's hilarious. They're really enjoying their new partners. I do struggle with whether long-term marriage is possible, like for the rest of your life, or whether you have to, you know, invent another way of it working, like with other people. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, well, you've hit the nail on the head there, because the problem is that we aren't supposed to stay together long-term, because we think of love as sex as, you know, bedfellows that go together. They don't. What love needs and what sex needs are two totally different things. Like love needs security, trust, um, intimacy, you know, routine. Sex thrives on separateness, you know, the forbidden, anxiety, things like that, um, eroticism. Now, in a relationship, most of us, you know, a lot of the things that sex likes, that lust likes, are quite uncomfortable emotions. So most couples rather sensibly choose between one or the other. And so the more in love you are with your partner, the less sexually attractive you tend to find them. And this is why, because you, you, you get too much of the nice, safe, comfy stuff, which cancels out desire. And given the two, you know, would you rather a great relationship or a great sex life? Most people go for the great relationship because you have to get on, you know, most of the time you're not having sex. You know, you have to bring up children. You have to exist in the same house and get on. But you'll find that the closest couples often have the worst sex life and couples who have the most disastrous relationships that are up and down a roller coaster have the best sex because they've still got those, you know, is he going to leave me? Is, is he not going to leave me? Which, which fuels anxiety, which keeps that desire going. I mean, one thing that kills sex in long-term relationships when you're happy is that awful thing that people say, you know, oh, Harold would never cheat on me. And you think, oh my God, that is such an insult to Harold that you honestly think that other people don't find him attractive or that he's going to be so enamored with you that he's not tempted. It's good to think that our partners are tempted because then we tend to pull our socks up and think, you know, okay, well, I better make a bit of an effort and have sex with him and have great sex with him because somebody else might want to. I can't even imagine what it's like for you. You must really have to perform. <laughs> I have in my house, which um, I could show you if I move around, but it's this big um, bookcase that is full of all my books, all the foreign editions, and all my, I do two ranges of sex toys as well. So there's one, one of each product. And my girlfriend used to walk in the door and stand in front of this massive bookshop and just, she used to call it the hall of deflation in that men would come in and just feel, oh my God, what the hell. But, you know, the pressure was on me as well. So I used to make men wait for sex, you know, I'd rarely sleep with somebody before six weeks because of that reason, because I didn't want to sleep with them as Tracy Cox, the sex expert, but I wanted to sleep with them as me, you know, and, and to get over my nerves. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you've learned everything? Like, how does that even work for you? It's like any other job. I mean, my husband made a, a, a joke at the wedding. He said, oh, she doesn't bring her work home with her, which <laughs> And I thought it can be a bit like that. When I was single and I was younger and I was writing all these books about sex, I felt constantly aroused because it was just like, oh, I kind of write about sex all day long. And especially if you're single, you always want what you can't have. So, so it would um, be a sort of a bit of a laugh for everybody that I'd be writing these books and no one to have sex with but myself. But now it's, I mean, it's a job in a sense, but yes, I do know how to fix everything, but then I'm the same as everybody else. I'm, you know, we, we're really lazy in terms of that. If we've got something great on Netflix, we'll watch that, have a glass of wine and then go, God, forgotten to have sex again type thing. So it's a bit like a doctor, you know, you know, the, the answers to everything. And certainly I'm on more of an alert with sex and relationships and everybody else. And I know how to fix it, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems myself. I think after long-term relationships as well, a lot of women lose confidence or feel if their marriage has broken down or, you know, no one's ever going to love them again. And also that awful thing, like, you know, when is too soon to have sex? Like I just had a girlfriend who just had sex with somebody and never called her again after chasing her nonstop. And I think there's that fine line, you know, I don't believe in games and luckily for me, it never, uh, never transpired that way. And, you know, I met Sergio and it 
just worked. I don't even know how to explain it to them because there aren't there aren't any rules. But you know, and how do you get your confidence back when being you know undressed with a new partner? And I think that's what women get so nervous about, and then they they tend to sort of block off. I have one girlfriend that hasn't had sex for like three years, and I'm like, if you don't get back on that pony, any pony at this point, the poor guy, you've made it too much of a big thing for him. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's an argument for waiting for sex, and there's an argument for actually just getting it over and done with if you are feeling nervous. I think, I mean, somebody said to me once, oh, my God, I'd never be able to show my body to a stranger. And I said, well, by the time you show your body to him, he hopefully won't be a stranger. I'm a true believer in when the right person comes along, it suddenly becomes easy. But I have to say, I mean, you do have to kiss a lot of frogs to get the prince. And, you know, I think you have to be quite tough to get out there and be dating because, you know, that is bizarre. You have the guy who chases you forever, then you have sex and suddenly he's off. And, you know, people are incredibly rude and incredibly selfish. Why does that happen? It happens a lot. I think there's too much choice out there. I think dating apps are great. And there was something, um, a big study done that most people who are on dating apps actually do want to settle down, but a hell of a lot of people just use them as a very quick way to get sex. And they'll often have, you know, especially if, if the woman's a bit older, they, they know how to woo these people. They know to sort of string them along a bit. And then they're doing that to several people at once. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly dangerous world out there for your self-esteem. It's very difficult because you're quite right. You need to be out there flirting, meeting people, you know, and having sex to keep your confidence up. But on the other hand, if you're out there and you are playing the game with dating apps and you're just feeling it's making you feel even worse about yourself, then I would say just stop and just surround yourself with friends, you know, have solo sex sessions with a vibrator and just get your self-confidence back up again. Trust your instincts. I think, I mean, you've had a few people on your show talking about your gut and your gut instinct and how we all need to trust that. And women have a very strongly developed gut instinct. And I think we're pretty good at sussing out which guys are genuine and which guys aren't, if we listen to that. Well, they tend to get very, very emotionally involved as soon as their vagina's involved. That's the problem, you know, and then they get quite intense. And it's like, you know, I listen to girlfriends of mine who put all their eggs in that basket. As soon as they've slept with somebody, they wake up in the morning cooking breakfast and expect him to be there for the next four days. And you're like, you've kind of got to let them go. You need to take it on like fun, a little bit of fun. And I think that we forgot that because we've been brought up or my generation was brought up that sex leads to the relationship. It doesn't mean that anymore. No, it doesn't. And I do think, I mean, the best thing you can do in a new relationship is to relax and enjoy it and try not to put any expectations on it. I mean, desperation has never been attractive. And, and I think women can come across as, as seeming desperate, even when they're not, because we're still very people-pleasing. You know, when you were talking about sex is better post-40, I think one reason why it is better is women are less people-pleasing in bed. It's less about, my God, is he going to think I'm good at this? Do, am I looking okay? Is Does he find me sexy? More about actually, no, I need this, this, and this to orgasm, and this is more about me. So we need to transfer that to our relationships. Less about, is he having a good time? Will he want to see me again? To, am I having a good time? Is this person worthy of me? Do I want to see them again? Well, you see, so, I, that's how I have see it with my girlfriends who are divorced now. They're having that kind of sex, which is why I think they're having, and why I said 40, but, you know, I, I, I'm interested to hear about what happens at 50. But at 40, it was like, you know, a lot of my friends are now getting divorced. So before where they were too shy or maybe had a different type of relationship with their husband, where weirdly they are even being married that, that long, they just could never talk about it because they were always the wife, the perfect wife. And now because they've come out of long-term relationships, maybe they weren't even looking for a long-term relationship. I wasn't looking for a long-term relationship when I met Sergio at all. And, you know, I definitely wouldn't have considered someone his age normally, but, you know, my girlfriends are all like now, because they weren't looking for it, of course they found it, which is exactly what I'm saying, but they, you know, they are now going in with like bringing, you know, shopping for toys and and swinging from the rafters and telling the guy what, he, what they want. And it's such a huge part of their lives where it wasn't before. And it's a different type of sex because you know your body exactly what you said you know you're not embarrassed to ask for it I certainly don't care what I look like in the morning in front of my boyfriend which is weird because everyone thinks that I should because he's so much younger than me but I really don't and he doesn't care at all he tells me every morning how beautiful I am whether I've got an eyelash and mascara halfway down my face it doesn't matter to him the thing is once people leave a long-term relationship and then they get back out there if they are very confident people and they're socially gregarious enough 
invariably that leads to fantastic sex because you've got the nudist thing. You've got, you know, if you've been stuck in a stale marriage, the sex is awful. I mean, it can be really awful in a long-term relationship. And suddenly, if you're presented with somebody new, which is great to begin with, you can have the courage to reinvent yourself. And it, and it takes a lot of courage to leave a long-term relationship and get out there. So, you know, I've been divorced. It's hard. And when you leave somebody and you're filled with all these doubts, did I do the right thing? You know, am I ever going to meet anyone again? You know, you go through that period. But then I think if you can get through that and out the other side where you feel invincible. If you can divorce somebody and still be fine, you're, you're pretty damn good, aren't you? You're pretty damn good. So if you can take that feeling through into sex, it can become the best sex that you've ever had. When you are thinking, right, I've never tried this, I've never tried that. I mean, one of the chapters in the book was talking about how lots of women, you know, come out of long-term relationships and they'll, at the age of 50 plus, be trying threesomes for the first time, trying sleeping with another woman for the first time, going to a fetish club, going to a sex club, because, <laughs> because they've never done it before. And they think, you know what, I've been a good girl all my life. Maybe, you know, I'm going to give into this sort of midlife wanderlust that's sort of creeping over me. So let's take a little break from the show and discuss one of my all time time favorite things, teeth whitening. So I just want a big thank you to Snow for sponsoring this show today. Really happy to have you guys. And I wanted to share my experience with their products because I'm one of actually the things that you all comment the most about is my teeth. So if you go to trysnow.com and use my code DND for 15% off your first order today, Snow is so clever because it actually whitens your teeth in nine minutes a day. That's nine minutes a day. I mean, everyone has nine minutes a day. And the initial results show after just three days. That's why it's become so popular with so many people all over the world. Over 500,000 happy customers, including Floyd Mayweather, Miss Universe, and Rob Granaski, designed to be pain-free with people with sensitive teeth and over $1.4 million in research and development to create the strongest teeth whitening kit possible. It comes with a six-month supply of whitening serum, so at any time your smile needs a touch-up, you're good to go. I mean, I don't know about you, but I really feel like white teeth take years off you. Actually, I think, you know, it's one of the most important things you can wear in life is your smile. And the power of a whiter smile is it can take 10 years off you, people just whitening your teeth. It really can. Go get that promotion at work, that second date, and look better on a daily Zoom call. Increase your self-confidence. So go to trysnow.com and use my code DND for 15% off your first order. That's go to trysnow.com and use my code DND for 15% off your first order. T R Y. S-N-O-W.com. Let's get back to the show. So what do you do if you have a partner now, say, you know, and you haven't got divorced, because this doesn't have to be about divorced women in any way, shape or form, and you haven't got divorced and you just have different sexual appetites because you do sometimes wake up and say, okay, I want to change something. I need it. But the husband maybe doesn't want to. But I think don't men lose their libido as they get older and women get it? Is it the other that way around? It depends. I think oh, I've just done a thing on sexual peaks, actually, and there's pretty much nothing in it. But I mean, men lose testosterone as they get older, so they tend to lose their sex drive. Women also lose testosterone. So it's about on par. But I think if you're in a relationship with somebody and your sex is stale and it's not working, the first thing you need to do is, is start talking about it. And that means just sitting down and saying something, you know, like, you know, I absolutely love you and I love our sex life, but, you know, we've been together for, you know, a million years. Why don't we have a chat about what we honestly think is working and what's not working and and everybody balks at that it's like oh my god I can't say that well yes you can say that and if your partner is is extremely conservative or a very traditional male who feels threatened if somebody comes right out and says that as the wife then you just put up with them stomping off and then try it again and say sorry if you you know found that offensive but you know I want to spice things up a bit how do you feel I was thinking that maybe we could try this maybe we could try that and it's quite funny when once people have had that initial discussion with a long-term partner, when they've never actually come out and talked about what they want before, they hated that initial conversation. But then it's almost like after that, they're like, oh, my God, why didn't I do this earlier? Now we're talking about it all the time. Now he's told me things that he wants and hasn't been happy with or that he'd really like to do. That initial conversation is 
quite uncomfortable, but if you can get past that, it honestly does open the way to a brilliant sex life. If you can talk about sex, you can do anything. Have you ever counselled, or I mean, not counselled, but talked to couples in open marriages? I have, and I found it. I find it quite fascinating because it's it's really far more the thing now. It's not unusual. Like when I was starting out, like thirty years ago, no one was in an open marriage. You know, they were put in the same basket as swingers. And I have to say, swinging swinging is very popular as well. But open marriages, particularly with the younger generations, what's the difference between swinging and open marriage then? Swinging, you could do together. You could you could just go together to a swingers club. Open marriage is when you actually have relationships with other people or or have sex with other people. So, I've done lots of stuff with women who actually are say, seeing a guy who's married to somebody else or with another partner. The wife knows, she knows. Sometimes they'll meet together, go out for lunch, and. It's quite extraordinary because I am a really jealous person. My dad had an affair when I was young and I just ended up and I've had therapy for it and everything. And I'm fine now, but I mean, the thought of me sharing my husband, I just couldn't do it. But I can see sexually how that would work because sex with somebody new is fun. So, you know, the intellectual part of my brain sees that, right, if we said, okay, we can stay together for love, but we would have sex with other people, but just not talk about it. I can see how that would keep the sex going. But for me, it would damage the love part of my relationship too much. So if you're a person that can handle that, that's very good at, you know, like cutting off sex and love, which we all can do, let's face it. I mean, everybody's I mean, if everybody's quite honest, they could probably say, well, look, I'd love to be able to have the affair, but I don't want my partner to. We're all quite good at it. But it's like open affairs. That's the difficult thing. You know, affairs happen all the time. And I think it's, you know, like I always say, the biggest lies are in marriages. But, you know, when you open yourself up to an open marriage, it means you're both aware of it. So what do you do? High five each other. I'm just popping out for a lunch meeting, which you, we both wink, wink, no, isn't a lunch meeting. I don't know. It must be so bloody weird. How can you do that? Maybe the lie is better. Too much knowledge. Yeah, I think people set a lot of rules. It has to be, I mean, the people that I've spoken to who get away with it, or where you know, the marriage works. They're very specific types of people, though, I'd say. It goes with a certain type of personality. People who sort of think that you don't own anyone else, not that you do ever, but I think, as a, I think it's a very human thing to want to be the most special thing in your partner's life. I don't know. I would feel, I mean, everybody wants to feel that they're enough, I think. But the people who do make it work, they do have lots of rules. It can't be somebody, it's usually, it can't be somebody that you know, is in their friend circle, some um, couples have things where you can only see them once, you can't see them more than once because then feelings develop. I mean, it's very risky for the relationship because, of course, you know, the minute you're having, as you said about um, women who start having sex, the minute their vaginas involved, they're involved. You know, it's very hard to keep sex and love separate. So you might find that, in fact, you know, it's not unheard of for people in open relationships for people to say, you know what, I've met somebody else and I'm now going to be with them. It happened with one of my gay best friends, exactly that. And they had an open relationship and it backfired. I'm very open to different things because I'm thinking now, you know, of course, I have a boyfriend again that's 18 years younger than me. And then people go, what's going to happen when you're older? And I think to myself, you know, I'm quite a pragmatic person. I'm like, you're right. You know, there will come a stage where I'm too old for him, you know, and, and look too old and everything else. But I really love being with him. And, you know, so maybe you renegotiate your relationship then. Maybe that that's that's how you keep your companionship you know and I keep my best friend for the rest of my life and then you know I don't know maybe he goes off and get finds his happy place somewhere else and comes home I don't I don't know how it looks because I have not chosen a conventional marriage and also what I always say to people is like look if your partner say you decide you don't mean people have sex right up until 90s so there's no reason at all why you shouldn't be having sex with Sergio at all so, and there's different types of sex. We need to get a, get away from this notion that sex is like frenetic pumping intercourse. It's not. Sex could be, you know, somebody using a sex toy on you. Sex could be you watching him masturbate. Sex could be um, both of you watching an erotic film together. It doesn't have to follow that, you know, foreplay, you know, bit of a feel down there and then intercourse. We need to rethink sex. So there are many things, going back to sexless marriages, just briefly, if you are in a relationship where your partner doesn't want to have sex with you or you don't want to have sex with your partner, there are ways around it. And sure, one of them is that you have sex with somebody else, but it might be that, you know, they don't want to have anything done to them, but they're happy to pleasure you. It might be that they're happy to watch. It might be that, 
you know, you can satisfy yourself with solo sex or fantasy or, or pornography or erotica. There are plenty of ways that people who, you know, love the person but maybe can't have sex with that person for whatever reason still stay in the marriage and remain sexually satisfied. The big sticking point, though, is how upset is my partner not to be having sex with me. Now, say you get old, you're already thinking in a nice way about Sergio, his needs and wants. It's when you get a partner that says, I'm not going to have sex with you anymore because I don't want to, I've had enough, but you're not allowed to look at it elsewhere. You just have to put up with this, but you've got to stay monogamous. That is really unfair. I think when that situation presents itself, that's when people go, you know what, sod off, I'm going to go and get it elsewhere. Because there is an unspoken agreement in monogamy that we will continue to have sex with each other. Because that's just the fair thing to do, as long as you both want to do that. I agree. And I think, as I said, the world is a very different place. You know, back in the day, you never discuss all these things and these options weren't open to you. Or maybe they were. Everyone was just at it, but they were just lying better. But now it's these all these options are actually out and on the table. And I know people that are in open marriages. I'm studying them like a science book because I'm fascinated to see if that can work. I think it's a very dangerous game to play. Or is it something that you do together? You're abs- you know, and all of these things are things that I'm incredibly open to looking at in the future. Absolutely not now, because I, you know, I've only been with my boyfriend a couple of years, and that would be just not. But I, t- when you get to a long-term relationship, I'm very open to these things because I really believe that the world has changed, and if you if you cut things off from people, we automatically really want them. And it's not necessarily, it's more, sometimes it's just the idea of it. The reality is never what you really think. And actually, you know, and if you have an amazing relationship and you build businesses together and you've got everything else is working, it's very sad to have to give it up just because of sex. So I always talk about, you know, when women feel they need to leave their husband because they found them cheating, because shame comes with it and all all of these things from friends rather than how you feel inside. And if we can just lift the lid on all of these things that they're actually happening and that you don't need to feel shame and that, you know, it is more normal than, than we're told, then actually more marriages could survive. Absolutely right. And, you know, I mean, happy people have affairs. People make mistakes. People, you know, people can be faithful for 20 years, not even look at anyone else, and then end up in a scenario where they just made one bad decision on one night and end up doing something, deeply regret it. The wife finds out, or the husband or the partner finds out, and then that whole marriage is over for one mistake. The old me, because my dad had an affair, would have said, when so it should be, and, you know, like be all vehemently, you know, in favour of that option. Now I think, oh, how ridiculous. You know, I always say to my husband, like, if you cheat on me, just don't tell me. Because if you tell me, I will struggle with it. But I just think, you know, if you make a mistake, then just don't ever tell me. I always said that too. I said, deny it all the way. You know, I don't need to know. Telling me is for you, not me. I completely think that people make mistakes. And I don't think that people who have affairs are awful. I think people who have repetitive affairs, you know, always having affairs, that's a completely different ballgame. I'm talking about one mistake in, you know, in a marriage or, you know, like over a period of 20, 30 years. I mean, I don't know if you've read anything by um, Stephen Snyder, who wrote How to Have Extraordinary Sex or something like that. He's a US um, sex therapist. He's extremely great. And he just said, you know, when you're in a marriage and long-term relationship, you fall in lust and with love, you know, fall in love and lust with lots of different people over that period of time. Time. You don't act on it, but you do have little crushes and you have all these things. It's normal. Sergio's always telling me that you can't have boyfriends because all every boy that's your friend actually secretly wants to sleep with you. Maybe he's right. It's nice to have a friendship with a male who does want to sleep with you that you, you're not ever, gonna, ever going to act on. It keeps you all, all frisky and happy and your self-esteem high. So that's not a bad thing either, I don't think. Absolutely, because we le- lose ourselves in the day-to-day of life. And so to, to be made to feel hot all the time, and as I said... It's the one thing, considering he's so young, he really does all the time tell me how attractive I am to him. And it's physically apparent too, all the time. So, <laughs> you know, I know it's true. You know, everyone says that I feel, I look alive. I am alive. And it does change your everyday spring in your step to, to be made to feel like that. I, I would find it, as I said, very hard to go back to not having that in my life. 
You should have that in your life. You should have a partner who tells you that you look great and look attractive and feel, you know, you should, have, every woman should have that. We should all demand that from our partners. Absolutely. So tell me about the book and what, what you've discovered about 50 year old women. What have I got to look forward to? Well, um, some good, some bad. Um, the main thing that I discovered, I mean, the book goes through various things. It goes through how to cope with menopause. There's lots of practical stuff, how to cope with your partner, not getting an erection, body image, which is a big thing for women over a certain age, a big thing for women full stop, let's face it. What to do if you love your partner, but you don't want to have sex with them, sex toys and how they can help, sexist relationships, affairs, how to be single, all that sort of stuff. But but I have to say one thing which really sat with me at the end was number one, the amount of couples who don't talk about sex. I found that incredibly sad. The other thing is the world really did divide into two different types of people. There are people who get to 50 or, you know, get to middle age and think, oh my God, it's all going to be shit from here. It's all downhill. You know, it's not going to be any good. My life is over. Youth is everything. And now this is going to be awful. They, of course, are not happy. They're not having great sex. They're probably not having sex at all, most of them. Or you have these other people who think, you know what, this is the second part of my life. There's so much good about getting old. I mean, I don't think I've ever been happier than I have been in my 50s. You know, sure, I got married to a great guy, but so much else was better. I feel less competitive. I feel more settled in my career. I'm not working as hard. I used to work crazy, crazy like you. And so there's a lot. And I feel less, less like the image part's less important. I don't feel like I have to measure up every time. Like in the past, a new sex book would come out and be like, oh my God, that's going to be better than mine. I don't care now. It's like, great there's room for everybody so if you have the right attitude don't worry about things like aging and menopause and all the you know the the actual physical challenges because attitude trumps everything if you want to continue to have a great sex life and you're in that right frame of mind there are so many solutions for all the physical challenges that you'll meet and so this is the point of the book it's not about trying to stay young it's like working with what you're presented with and making the best of it have you seen a lot of relationships like mine when I started dating Sergio, obviously, I mean, it didn't matter to me whether we lasted or not at the beginning because it was so much fun anyway. But now it's lasted and we're lasting. So, you know, do you think it can work long term with men and women this way around? Because, you know, I have got a lot of shit for this relationship. Well, you shouldn't because, and I am the right person to ask because up until my husband, who's only four years younger than me, I was dating guys 20 years younger, 10 years younger. I always went out with young guys, always. Because it works. It works because I find men my own age, apart from Miles, very threatened by me. They didn't like me. I was way too strong, way too confident. I I wrote about sex and talked about sex. Too scary. No, thank you. I need to be the alpha man. So young guys have been brought up with women. They know that women, you know, they're brought up with a different generation of women who are like us, right? That's why it works with a younger guy and a strong woman. 20-year age gap, I struggled with at one point, but it depends on the individual so much. I mean, what put me off was I remember with my last boyfriend, who was really young, much younger than me, I put my hand down on top of his head. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, I, it just, the, the age difference in your hand, my hand and his hand was just too much to bear. And that, and you know what, when I'm with Miles now, I, I have to say, in some ways it's better, in some ways it's worse. But one thing which I'm enjoying is I relax about aging. I don't get up and feel like I have to run to the mirror and check my, you know, like, God, what do I look like today? But to be honest, the guys never minded. It was me that minded. The guys didn't mind. They were more than happy to be with somebody. I mean, the only thing I would say is kids. Kids is the only problem to any age difference relationship. You've already got children. I don't know what Sergio is. That can be a sticking point. If you can get past that, you can get past everything. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't see the, I mean, you know, I laugh about my aging, but, he, you know, he doesn't really, he never pulls me up on anything like that. Well, you look about 20 and you will always look good because you've got the right attitude. It honestly doesn't matter what you look like. You, you, you've got the face that's going to look great no matter what. But it's really not about what we physically look like. It's about how we feel about ourselves. And if you think you look good and you think you look sexy, they will as well. So I can't see any reason why it won't last. No, we laugh all day long. And it's, uh, you know, for me, that's more important than anything. And we have so much fun together. And, you know, I sent him out today and he always just comes home. You know, I sent him out for lunch because this is his first day out in 12 days. And he was, he was home in two hours. It's like, you know, he's, he likes being here with me 
regardless. I'm a very strong woman. And men today, if I was dating today, men my age with divorced with kids, there is no way they would date me. I'm too strong. My whole life is about the Caroline Stanbury show. You know, it's too much about me. For a young guy, it's fun and we have such a laugh and he doesn't take it so seriously. Whereas, you know, I think older men just take themselves so seriously. They get a little bit grumpy. They, you know, they have their own responsibilities. They want to focus on them completely. They want to be the boss of the relationship. And I mean, this is generalizing heavily because there are some very nice older men out there who aren't like that. But I have found that the whole of my life, every other female that I know that's strong and, you know, is center stage of their life and probably would be the center stage person in the relationship, a lot of men don't like her. And that's, that's why older women go for younger men because young men are just cool with it. They're used to women being strong and important. You know, most of them have got mothers that have been strong and important and, you know, confident women. So they're not threatened by it. They find it a turn on. I think a lot of um, women sort of don't open themselves up to all the possibilities. I mean, whether young or old and just being, uh, you know, open to new experiences because they automatically don't let young guys have a chance because they think they're never going to commit and they're never going to go the whole way. And you can't generalize like that. It's like saying, you know, all, all soccer players are assholes or all men are assholes. You know, yes, a few are, but then there are a few good ones too. And, you know, I saw that Sergio was a really good one when he was always, you know, he's on his foot on the phone every single day, all day to his mom. You know, I love that. You know, you can see if somebody's got a good core or not. I always say, if you want to know that judge a man, look at his relationship with his mother. It's a very true thing. If he's got a great relationship with his mother, not too strong, you know, like with separation there as well, and he gets on well, you've probably got a good guy there and you can have a good relationship. But if he doesn't have a great relationship with his mother, prepare for troubles. Do you know, going back to your other thing about don't cut yourself off by looking at um, when you're looking for a potential partner in terms of, you know, don't worry if they're too young. Don't worry about a lot of stuff. I mean, honestly, I had a most ridiculous conversation with a girlfriend of mine who is looking for a partner with such a it's such a specific subset of skills. She wants somebody who can fix a kitchen, but also salsa dance, also, you know, read poetry, <laughs> doesn't drink. And then they've got, and she actually found somebody who ticked all these boxes, except for one thing. And honestly, it was more ridiculous what she wanted than I'm even making out. The one thing that he didn't tick the box of was that he was a bit short. And seriously, she was not going to date him because of that. And I just was, are you crazy? You've got this ridiculous standard. He's ticked every single box and you're writing off because of that. I talked her into it. She's now, I mean, this conversation happened quite a while ago and she's now very happy with him. Yeah. We wonder why men are so intimidated by women. It's, you know, we're doing it to ourselves sometimes. And I, I feel like we overthink, we overanalyze. I didn't go into this thinking at all. I just let it be. And I think it's so important to renegotiate your relationship and to start talking to each other and to, you know, open yourselves up into this different world that is here now. And if you don't, someone else will. That's entirely true. And I think if there's one thing, you know, that lockdown and COVID has taught us is that you cannot predict the future. Why worry? I I think it's something like Um, 98% of what we worry about doesn't come true. You know, we've got to keep thinking that. So instead of trying to fast forward, you know, will this guy be around in 50 years? Will this guy be around? Say this happens to me. Say that happens to me. Well, say it doesn't happen to you. You know, that whole mindfulness thing, you know, just try and live in the day-to-day and you'll be so much happier. And then you you soon discover whether somebody's going to be, you know, a good person or not. I don't think you get a good measure of somebody until at least three months. I think you need at least a year before, at least a year before you've seen somebody as they truly are, because you need to see them interact with other people. You need to see them upset. You need to see them stressed. You need to see them with their family. You need to see them with their friends. You need to see what happens when boredom kicks in. You do not know somebody until you've been with them intimately for at least a year. So, you know, we all tempted to run off and get married after three months because the love hormones tell us that. You'd marry anyone. Like I said, you know, it's after three months that relationships really start. So don't worry about the future with this person until you've been with them a year, because you don't even know if you want to be with them until you've been with them a year. And I also think don't put so much pressure on the sex part, because it doesn't matter to a man if you have sex with him in three days or six weeks, it doesn't make a difference to them. To be honest, if he likes you, he likes you. He's going to be there. 
I think that women put too much on the timing thing and, you know, the games and all of this. And COVID has sort of wiped that out anyway. Um, you don't, we don't get to do that really anymore. You know, I think it's really important that women just stop worrying about, you know, that, do you remember that question how, well, guys used to ask us, how many men have you slept with? What difference does it make? What number is the right number? You're never going to give a number that the guy's going to go, that's exactly perfect. <laughs> I don't think is the right number. Women think after it. I think if you're about 45 and you've been married and, you know, single a few times, everyone says 10. Yes. <laughs> no matter, you know, it's like, really, that's interesting. Every single person says 10 and they've all got extraordinarily different circumstances. It's such a stupid question to ask. It tells you nothing. Absolutely nothing about the person. You know, you can meet somebody and the, the answer might be, okay, I'm going to say 20 and, you know, my friend here is going to say 10 and you'd go, well, she's, she's the sluttier of the two. Well, what if my friend who slept with 10 has only ever had one partner and then went and, you know, had a mass orgy with 10 people she'd never even met? You know, it's all about the circumstances. We judge on a number, but it's just ridiculous. And I just think that, you know, we've been told again. So I think it's just so important that we just take the rule book back and just say, you know, if you like the person and you've been dating and you want to have sex, the only person you have to answer to is you. You don't have to go around with a number on your head. You don't have to tell everyone. I can't bear those men that go around that tell people when they've slept with, slept with you. And, you know, and it's about getting confidence in you. If you believe in you, you take that power out of him. Maybe you just want to have sex. And by the way, that's okay too. Women ca should be able to understand that they are allowed to have sex for the fun of it, not just for a relationship. If you come out of a long-term relationship, maybe you want to just have partners for a bit. Flings are very, very good for you. If you have the right mindset though, I wouldn't, if you've got any body image issues, you have no self-esteem, flings are not a good thing because you're still putting too much power on the person to, if you're not in a good place, flings are not a good idea. But if you are in a good place, they are the perfect thing to do, you know, to have sex for fun without thinking, oh my God, because if you have sex with somebody that you have no interest in settling down with, you're far more adventurous. You're far more likely to say, hey, how about we try this? Because you're not being judged as a future wife or a future partner. You know, we often have the best sex of our lives with strangers because we get up to all sorts because we don't care whether they're going to judge us or whether they look at us and think, you know, well, you must have been with a few or, you know, where did you get that idea from? So it's quite, it's quite interesting that often the best, if you say to people what's the best sex you've ever had and their partner's nowhere near them, they will usually come up with an instance where it's it's casual sex. Often it's casual sex. Isn't that funny? So if we could leave today with one word, like what would you tell knowing now everything to your 30 year old self? Gosh, I would say stop being so self-conscious, just be in the moment. Cause I think I was very guilty of what they call spectra spectatoring, where you're literally having sex with somebody and you're judging yourself, you're above and you're looking down and going, how is she looking? How is she performing? All that sort of stuff. Oh my God. I've done that. The little voice in your head. Just have more confidence and also stop worrying about weight and body image because, you know, you're looking down at, you know, thinking that those roles are fat. He's just looking down and thinking, Oh my God, I'm in bed with somebody and she's really hot and sexy. Yeah, he chose you. Thank you yeah. so much, Tracy. This has been amazing and quite eye-opening and um, I've really enjoyed it. This was incredible. I hope you'll come back, but it was fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. 